Well, good morning. He truly is great, isn't he? I thought the music today was absolutely beautiful, stirring my heart. Well, I'd like to say that it's an honor and a privilege to once again be standing before you on this beautiful Sunday, one sinner to the next. A little bit more snow than I thought we would have in April, but I guess this is nature's uh, April Fool's joke to us, huh? (laughs) I think so. Today we're going to be diving back into the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at chapter 5. It's a small verse. We're going to only look at two verses. Verse 1 and verse 2. And in these verses, we have two points, point one and point two. Now they're little and they're tiny, but the context behind these two verses is thick and meaty. And just like the songs that we were able to sing today, man, it's just a privilege to have God's love. So I just invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I would invite you to open up your hearts and just be ready to listen, and, and hopefully we can learn. I'm just going to pray real quick again for this, uh, for this message, and then we'll dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, you surely are great, and we do worship you on this Sunday. I'm encouraged to sit here and look at all the faces as we come before you, Father, each one of us sitting in a different spot in life, each one of us having different circumstances, but each one of us having the same Savior, you, Lord. So, Lord, please work in us. I pray that you would help me to deliver the message in a, in a flowing way, Father, that uh, hearts would be impacted. So thank you for this moment of prayer. We praise you always in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I would like to open up today with a story. It's a story that uh, takes me back into my youth, into my 20s. You see, my friends and I had gone out to California to do some rock climbing. I was younger back then, more agile, and I could climb rocks. Uh, not so much anymore. Um, but after a full morning of climbing and an afternoon, we thought, what better way to spend the rest of the evening than to go out to the beach, to the boardwalk, and just watch the sun set down on the ocean and just enjoy the rest of the day. So that's what we did. And so I remember sitting on the side of the boardwalk and just watching people, and I noticed that this gentleman comes right to the boardwalk, and he's got a bucket with him. And he takes the bucket, and he turns it upside down, and he sits down right in the middle of the boardwalk. And I thought to myself, well, that's kind of odd. We have all these seats over here. We could be sitting on the side. Why, why would you sit in the middle, in the middle of flowing traffic? But there he was, and he was sitting there, just watching people go back and forth. I couldn't help but not watch him. This was odd. So I kept watching, thinking, what is this gentleman going to do? Now, I'm going to change. I'm not going to say gentleman. I'm going to call him a street performer. And as I continue to, to, to tell you the story, you'll understand why I'm going to call him a street performer. But I watched this street performer just sit on his bucket, again, just watching people walk back and forth. And finally, his gaze locked onto somebody. He had picked somebody, and he was watching him. And as this unsuspecting gentleman was getting closer to him, closer to where he was sitting, he finally was right there, right in front of the street performer. And then he took a couple steps past him. And this is what happened. The street performer immediately got up and started walking one step behind the unsuspecting individual. Now, when I say that he walked right behind him, I literally mean he walked right behind him. I think that if the unsuspecting gentleman hit the brakes, the street performer would have smashed into him. He was that close. But the thing that was beautiful, 
was that he was matching and imitating the characteristics and the mannerism of this unsuspecting gentleman. The walk and the steps and the stride was perfectly imitated. His arm swing and how the gentleman swing his arms. Everyone walks differently. Everyone has a different gait. Everyone has a different flow to their walk. But this street performer imitated it perfectly. I was amazed. I was like, wow, am I looking at at two of the same people here? I mean, here he was at one moment sitting down on, on the bucket, and in the next moment, bam, he was imitating him. I was just thinking, this is great. This is awesome. So after a little bit, the, the, the street performer tapped the unsuspecting gentleman on the shoulder, then quickly turned right and started following a woman that was walking the opposite direction. Now that fellow that didn't know what was going on turned around and went like this and couldn't find anyone, kind of looked confused, threw his hands up in the air and continued walking. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. You're messing with people. I think that's great. <laughs> so, so then I was like, okay, let's see what he's doing now. And, and remember, I said that he was following this woman. Well, just like that, he took on the characteristics and mannerism of this woman. And he was right behind her. Not in a creepy way, but he, he was right there, right behind her. Okay, And now he imitated her characteristics. Now, this was a different walk. He was not following a gentleman. Now he was following this woman. This woman had a softer walk. Her, her, her gait was a little bit different. Um, just, just a different walk. And again, just like that, he jumped into character and imitated it perfectly. Same thing. Tapped her on the shoulder, darted off, went this way, followed another guy, did the exact same thing. Woman turned around, looked confused, didn't know what was going on, continued to walk, I continued to laugh. <laughs> so I sat there for about 15, 20 minutes, just watching, enjoying this, thinking this was great. Now, I bring this story up for one reason. It's going to lead us into our first point here. But I bring this up because just like the street performer, how he imitated the walk and the mannerisms of these people, so must we as Christian, Christians imitate the mannerisms and characteristics of our Heavenly Father. See, we need to walk right behind our Heavenly Father. We need to stay close to Him. Just like that street performer stayed really close to the unsuspecting people, we too as Christians must stay close to our Heavenly Father. Amen. Today's message is entitled, Imitate God. If you have your Bibles open, I'd like to read to you the two passages we're going to look at. Again, it's taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I will go ahead and read it for you. Verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let's look at our first point here. In the passage, we come across two commands, the first of two commands that Paul gives. And the first command, he says, is right there. Be imitators. Therefore, be imitators. Now, you've got to look at the therefore and say, why is the therefore therefore? So what we're going to do is we're going we're to go back a little bit into contextual history. And we're going to look at Ephesus and see what was going on in the time of Ephesus that would lead Paul to make this command. See, at the time, Ephesus was largely caught up in a false worship. The belief in the worship of the goddess Diana in Artemis 
was very prevalent in the region. And magic, sorcery, dark arts was also rampant. This was the culture at the time. Now, Paul had spent over two years in this area preaching, debating, and persuading the identity of Jesus Christ and what the kingdom of God represented. And slowly, the framework of false religion was splitting. There was a new framework thinking, the belief of Jesus Christ and the belief of the gospel, and mightily grew the word of God. Paul had spent over two years boldly speaking to all the residents of Asia, both Greek and Jew. He spoke. And like I said, people were changing. So now Paul knew that we have these new believers. They were now believing in Jesus, and they were in Ephesus. And Paul knows that if you are going to follow Jesus, then you need to walk differently from the rest of society. You need to live a lifestyle that is different from the rest of the non-believers. Now, this stands true today just as much as it did in a time of Ephesus. We, too, need to stand differently and walk differently. So Paul gives the command. Here comes the therefore. Be imitators of God. But not just be imitators of God, but be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. See, John 1.12 says, But to all that have received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of blood, not born of the will of flesh, not born of the will of man, but of God. See, these new believing converts were now adopted into the same family that we're adopted in today. They have the same heavenly father that we have today, and they're beloved. I think about earthly fathers. Think about your children. Think about earthly fathers. Sometimes earthly fathers don't look at their children as beloved children. Sometimes earthly fathers can damage and hurt their children. I had an experience a couple, couple weeks ago of, uh, of a person that I love, a person that I care about, and her earthly father had words, words that were just bombs, words that should never come out of a mouth of a father to a child, words that would leave damage. And two days later, he died. These were the last words that this person is going to hear. That's an earthly father. Our heavenly father does not do this. Our Heavenly Father picks us up and redeems us when we are in our darkest spot. That is our earthly father. But not everyone listened. In Ephesus, not everyone listened to what Paul had to say. Not everyone bought into the gospel. In fact, many stayed stubborn, just like today. Many stayed stubborn. Many today don't feel that there's a need to find any value in the gospel at all. And the same was true in Ephesus. But, but Paul knew. Paul knew that God's grace and spirit were now on these new believing Ephesian Gentiles. So Paul gives them the command, hey, live differently. Be an imitator of God as beloved children because that's what you are. And I don't know if you remember, but when I preached about 
uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I talked about how God's grace, about God's saving grace. And it was God's grace that comes in and picks us up when we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And it was God. It was only God that brings us back to life and redeems us and reconciles us. See, we go from being children of wrath to not just becoming children, but becoming beloved children. And like a son, we must mimic our father. Fathers, if you have sons, they watch you. They mimic you. They want to be you. (laughs) We have to be careful, right? So we too must mimic our father, but like I said, it's not an earthly father, it's our heavenly father. We'd be safe to mimic our heavenly father. So if we're going to mimic him and if God is holy, then we as his children should be holy. If God is merciful, then we as his beloved children need to be merciful. And if God is love, then we as his beloved children need to love. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to therefore be perfect as your father is perfect. Leviticus 19.2, God says you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Holy. But see, the problem is is that I'm not God. You're not God. We're not God. We're sinners. So how can we do this? Romans 3.10 says that there's no one righteous. No, not one. But you see, our Heavenly Father chooses us. He predestined us for adoption to Himself. If we look at Ephesians 3.16, it reads... That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, you being rooted and grounded in love. See, we need something. We need something to come into us and to change us. In the story of that, that, that street performer who sat there and imitated those, those unsuspecting walkers so perfectly... He could only do it for about 15 or 20 minutes. I told you I watched him in joy and laughter for 15 and 20 minutes, and then he was done. He had to sit back down. The Holy Spirit has the power to redeem us and strengthen us for all time. It's not 15, 20 minutes. All time. And he grounds us in love. You see, this is how we can be holy even though we're sinners. Because he changes us. This is how we can be merciful, even though our heart is filled with anger. This is how we can love, even though we may be bitter or jaded, or maybe the people that are closest to us hurt us, and we don't trust love. But we can love him. See, the Holy Spirit, like I said, comes in and transforms us, and he roots us in love. So let's move on to the second second point here. The second point comes from the second verse, and it says here, and walk in. In love, as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. Now we read in the command here that Paul gives to these Gentiles, hey, walk in love. Walk in love. Why? Because the unsaved Gentiles were not walking in love. In fact, they were becoming more callous and greedy. Again, just like society today. We can see those that are walking unsaved, they're greedy, they're callous, they're hard-hearted. Paul also describes the unsaved walk as living in the vanity of their minds, only just caring about their minds, what they can get, what they can do. 
They lived a life that was alienated from God. They didn't have Jesus in them. They had no hope. They lived as, as aliens. They had a darkened understanding and they were ignorant. But these new believers needed to walk differently. They needed to show that they were different. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Look, if you're going to show people an invisible God, the best way to show people an invisible God is to walk visibly with God. We need to walk worthy. Ephesians 4, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about walking worthy. And one of the ways that you can walk worthy is to walk in love. So let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. See, we hear about love all the time. There's books about love. There's poems about love. There's songs about love. There's even websites out there that says, they'll, buy, they'll, they'll find you love, guaranteed. You pay the right price, we'll match you up. We'll get you love. Maybe some of us out here are talking about how God is love. Right? We just saw that. Maybe some of us are saying to others, hey, Jesus loves you. See, there's plenty of love going around. There's plenty of love. But what we need to make sure of is that if we're going to be imitators of God, then we need to imitate God in the way that he loved. We need to imitate his characteristics of love, not the world's idea of love. If we're going to be imitators as his beloved children, then I think we need to study and look at how God loved. Ephesians 4.32, Paul kind of gives a little bit of a window to this. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgave you. Now, Paul makes it very clear in this passage. It's not like you have to dig through and read through these words and figure out this, this puzzle. No, it's super clear. One, be kind to one another. Two, be tender-hearted. And three, forgive. It's not always easy to be kind to one another, is it? It's not always easy to be tender-hearted, is it? And it's not always easy to forgive. In the passage here that we look at, Paul, Paul talks about forgiveness twice. You see the word twice. Once, to forgive others, and two, because Christ has forgiven us. See, forgiveness, forgiveness then becomes a trait that, that we should look at. If we're going to imitate our Heavenly Father as beloved children, then we need to imitate Forgiveness, so that we too can have some Christ-like love. Not Christianly love. I don't say Christianly love. I say Christ-like love. Because I'm a Christian, but I'm not always loving Christ-like. My, 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 my walk is not always in Christ-likeness. See, I have a standard for myself, and many times I don't even reach that standard. There's times where I'm like, man, I have failed, let alone meet the standard of what Jesus asks of me. And maybe it's the same for you. But we need to stay close to our maker. We need to stay close to our Lord. Just like that, that, that street performer was walking right next to those people. We too must be walking, following Jesus, imitating him. So let's look into forgiveness. Let's look into this word. Because I believe that understanding the scope of God's forgiveness as beloved children is going to help us in our role to be an imitator to imitate God. 
Ephesians 1, 7. This is really important. It's all important, but this is important. Ephesians 1, 7 reads, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I'm going to read it one more time. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Man, blessed are we whose sins are forgiven. Amen? Man, we're forgiven. This is why Paul, or, or David, I'm sorry, in David, in Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? All of it. He forgives it. Verse 9 of the same Psalm 103, he says, He will not always chide, nor will he always keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Man, aren't you glad that's the truth? Aren't you glad that he does not deal with us according to our sins? Aren't you glad that he doesn't repay us according to our iniquities? I wouldn't be here right now. How many of us would be here right now if he dealt with us like that? But he doesn't chide, nor does he keep his anger forever. Verse 12 reads, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. It's removed as far as the east is from the west. And it's forgotten. It's removed and forgotten. That's why I say, blessed are we whose whose sins are forgiven. God doesn't bring it back. When he forgives us, he doesn't bring it back to us. He doesn't remind us. That's Satan. That's Satan who does that. That's not Jesus Christ. As far as the east is from the west, he removes it from us. Hebrews 10, 17, God says in their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. No more. Do we forgive like this? Are we imitating this? See, the reality is that that life is difficult and things happen. But if we're going to be imitators of God, then we need to forgive like this. If we say that we've forgiven someone, then we don't bring it up to them anymore. It's done. We will remember it no more. If we say we forgive someone, then we don't go and talk about the situation with other people. Oh, blah, 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 blah. No. And if we say we forgive someone, then we don't fester and just chew on it in our head and in our hearts so that it just can brew up anger and bitterness. You know, anger and bitterness is not love. It's not. Jesus says, if you forgive little, you love little. And I would venture to say in contrast that if you forgive much, then you love much. There's a parable in uh, Matthew 18. I know many of you probably know it. If you don't, enjoy. If you do, here we go. It's a good reminder. It's a parable of a servant who owed his master a lot of money, 10,000 talents. I don't know what that currency transfers over. I just know from the Bible it's 10,000 talents. Now, this servant owed him money. And when he was faced 
with his family being thrown in prison and, and, and all his possessions being sold, this servant got down on his knees and said, Master, please, please, I will repay you every single cent, everything. I will give you everything. There's no way that's going to happen. He owed him a lot of money. There is no way that this was going to happen. But the master, having compassion and pity on the servant, says, you're forgiven. I will forgive you of your debt. Now, I want you to think of something real quick here. I want you to think of that servant at that particular moment. Here he is in his reality. I am going to have all my possessions sold. My family is going to be thrown in prison. I am probably in tears. I am probably shaking, begging, and all of a sudden, what? I'm forgiven? What? (laughs) Could you imagine the joy? Could you imagine the relief that this servant must have had? I'm forgiven? <laughs> Man, it kind of makes me like, yeah, let's go. Let's go, family. We're going to go this way. We're free, you know? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if someone said, hey, don't worry about your house. It's forgiven. We'll take away your debt. It's all good. Your car? Oh, no, don't worry about it. It's good. How happy would you be? So it sounds like a good story. But later on, that servant goes off and he finds another servant and that servant owed him money. Well, the story ends up that this servant that was forgiven did not act the same way that the master did. This servant did not have compassion. This servant did not have pity. In fact, he choked the other servant, put the other servant in prison and said, you'll pay me every single thing that you owe me. Now, who do we want to imitate here? Do we want to imitate the master who had compassion, that had pity and was forgiving? Or do we want to imitate that, that hypocritical servant that's just, you know, you're forgiven, you're free, you're blessed, but now you're just acting like a tyrant. See, I really truly think that we need to remember what Jesus' death on the cross meant to us. Because if we don't and we just carry on life unforgiving, then we're no better than that servant. Do you understand? And we're better than that. As Christians, we're called to be better than that. Let's not forgive and let's not forget to forgive. You know, every year at tax time, <laughs> kind of a change of a pace here, but tax time comes, and, and I kind of like tax time a little bit because we get a refund usually, and, and then I take that refund and I, I pay off all my bills. All the debt that I incurred that year, I get to happy day, pay it off, and bring my debt back down to zero. And that's what Jesus Christ, that's what he did when he took the nails on the cross. That's what he does He takes all our sins and he breaks it down and says, you're wiped out. No longer do you have to pay this back. Your debt is down to zero. And you know what? Just like that servant, there's no way we could repay all the debt that we incurred in our lifetime. There's no way that we could do this. We need someone. We needed Jesus to go and take the nails for us and to sit there and say, you know what? Your debt is forgiven. Only Jesus could have done that. Not Buddha. Not Allah, not Mary, not Krishna, and not you. Only Jesus. Jesus Christ became sin when he knew no sin. And he left it on the cross at Calvary. So as we continue on through our verse, we're going to look again at Ephesians 2. We're going to finish it off. It reads and says that Jesus gave himself to us because he loves us. 
Because he loved, he gave. Because he gave, we're forgiven. Do you see how this works? All because of love. Now the wages of sin is what? Death. Jesus had no sin. He had no sin. He didn't need to die for us. He didn't need to pay the price for us. But he did. He gave himself to us because he loves us. He was an offering, a sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. His spilled blood was the atonement that canceled out sin for all time. All time. So as we talk about sacrifice, let's, let's go into this. Let's look into the verse. Again, we're going to finish it off. Verse 2, it says, And walk in love as Christ has loved us, and he gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, Christ gave for us. Have you ever given anything to anybody? Maybe you had to lend someone a tool, maybe. Maybe perhaps you lent someone a car. Maybe you lent them some money. Maybe you lent them some of your time. I don't know. But you did it because you saw a need, a need that needed to be filled. And Jesus Christ gave because he saw a need for us. John 15, 13 says, That greater love no one has than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid his life down on the cross so that we could be free from sin. Now, Jesus' death on the cross was a sacrificial act of love. Jesus knew the cost, and still, he took the nails for us. He was innocent, who was treated guilty. But his scars gives us freedom. His scars gives us hope. And his scars gives us redemption, according to the riches of his grace. I'm going through the Bible again. This year, went through it last year. We're going, I'm going to go through it again. I have been. About a month ago, we went through uh, Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. And, and in chapter 16 of Leviticus, it talks about the priests and how the holy priests would go in and make an atonement, okay, for not only the priests, but for the congregation and for the, children, the people of Israel, for, for, for their sins, to cover their sins. And they would get the, the animals, the blood of animals, goats, rams, and they would, they would spill the blood and, and make their atonement to cover the sins. But atonement that has to be repeated every year doesn't really atone. We needed something to come in. We needed someone. We needed Jesus, his blood, to be the perfect atonement for all time. See, no longer do we need the blood of bulls or rams or goats. No longer do we need that. We have the blood of Jesus, and that's all we need. See, Jesus Christ became that once and for all perfect atoning sacrifice for his children, for us. And it's only his shed blood that reconciles us with him. John 1, 2, 1, 3 says, My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin, and I bet you're grateful that that's in there, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with our Father Jesus Christ the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. See, in this new covenant that we're in, God doesn't want the sweet-smelling Savior smell of flesh. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. He wants to hear from us. Parents, do you ever, you ever get like a note from your child? Maybe, maybe it's a little scribbled note. Maybe it's a little coloring thing. Hey, Mom, I, I, I love you. I love you today. Or, hey, Dad, you know, have a good day at work. Or, or maybe we have children who, who don't live with us. I can tell you right now with my three daughters, if I just get one text from Phoenix London or Parker, if I just got one said, hey, Dad, I am like lit up, cloud nine. My daughters just said hi to me. Yes, yes. I'm still waiting for my one daughter who I haven't talked to in two years. I'm still waiting to hear her voice. If it warms our heart that much in our flesh, Think of our Heavenly Father, how much it must feel to Him to hear from us. Think about that. John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we pray and we confess, He takes. We pray, we confess, He takes. Sounds like he's got the harder job, but to him it's easy. Are we repentant? Do we repent? Do we pray? Are we vulnerable enough to come before the throne of God and tell him all the bad stuff about us, about how we messed up? Think about my wife. And I think, oh, husbands, maybe you can relate to me on this. (laughs) How hard is it for you to go to your wife and say, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. The way that that came out of my mouth was wrong. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to act that way. I'm sorry. I forgot to give you your keys back and I took off to work and now you got to come. You know, I'm sorry. We've been communicating for a long time. We can talk. We've been talking since we were, I don't know, two or three. We can talk. We can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But when we know we're wrong, sometimes for us as people, our flesh gets in the way and we get stubborn. Well, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Why am I sorry? I, no, I didn't do anything wrong. But man, the Holy Spirit comes in, starts working on you, starts pricking on you. Yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm not being loving right now. Honey, I'm sorry. This is on me. And then in return, I hope that I hear those next two words. You're forgiven. I just urge you to look past yourself and and to be vulnerable, not only to your wife and to your family, but be vulnerable and vocal with God. Repent, pray, and confess because he'll take. I think of Acts 19.19. We're talking about repentance. In Acts 19.19, there's an account that happens that is really amazing. It's an account that uh, the more that I think about it and the more that I read, the more awesome it gets to me. See, I talked about Ephesus and how Ephesus was caught up largely in false doctrine and false worship and how there was people were were just on on the path of, of falseness. But Paul had stirred the hearts of many of these new believers 
And many of these new believers had decided, you know what, I am no longer going to be living in darkness. No longer am I going to walk and follow this path of falseness. I am going to change. I am now going to correct myself and walk in the path of life, in the path of Jesus. So in the account, what happens is, is these people go into their homes, they grab all their books of the dark arts, and they bring them out and make a pile before all men. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine just kind of standing there and seeing people come out with books and just putting it in a pile here? What's Susie doing? Oh, she's got a book over there. She's doing it. Tom's going, hey, what? Oh, look at this pile. And what did they do? Who said that? That's right. They burnt it. They eradicated it from existence. If they wanted it out of their house, they could have easily taken that book and gone out and given it to their neighbor and said, hey, here, take this. I don't want it no longer in my house. Now it's yours. Guess what? Now it's in his house. Trapping is still there. If they wanted it out of their house, they could have taken it and given it to a family member. Hey, you know what? I don't want this in my house anymore. Now here you go. Take it. Problem is now it's in your family's house. That trapping is there. No. They took it and they burnt it. What an amazing act of just repentance. To sit there and say, no longer am I going to have this sinful thing in my house. No longer am I going to have this idol in my house. I'm taking it out of my house. I'm going to make a pile here along with all my fellow comrade believers here, and we're going to burn it. Because now I stand for Jesus Christ. What are we doing? What kind of declarations are we making for Jesus Christ? See, they sacrifice valuables. It said that all those books were at 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000. They didn't care. They took it out because they knew it was wrong. They burnt it. They gave up their lifestyle. They sacrificed a lifestyle. They sacrificed their image. Well, if I do this and I burn this book, they may think of me as different because now I stand for Jesus. I'm I'm not part of the rest of society here. Everyone else is, is worshiping Artemis and Diana, but I'm burning my book of, of magic and saying, no, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I'm kind of afraid of what they'll think of me. We can't do that. We stand for Jesus Christ and we stand for him boldly. We stand for him because he loves us and we're going to love him and be obedient to him and we're going to imitate him. So we can't get too comfortable in our valuables. We can't get too comfortable in our comfort. One thing I tell my athletes all the time in the gym is get uncomfortable being comfortable. No. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. There you go. (laughs) They would laugh at me too, Jake. Jake, that doesn't make sense, Jake. (laughs) But get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're comfortable, you're not doing enough, man. I think we should just keep, keep trying to shed, keep trying to go towards repentance. So as we move into our conclusion here, we'd just like to finish this off with saying, how are we going to walk? How are we going to walk now? I'd like you to turn your Bibles to the book of Revelations. I would like you to turn to Revelations. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 1. I'll give you a moment. Revelations chapter 2, verse 1. 
Now, this is God talking uh, about the church of Ephesus. We were in Ephesus, so we're going to continue here. And I'll read to you the first three passages here. It says, God, this again, God talking about the church of Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now, if we stopped right there and just only looked at those three verses, we could sit there and be like, well, that sounds pretty good. As a church, that sounds pretty darn good, right? They had patient endurance. Uh, they couldn't stand evil. All right, that, that sounds good. They called out the fakes, and they bared for his name without growing tired. Sounds great. But when we look at verse 4, it kind of changes a little bit. God says in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love, the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen and repent and do the works that you did at first. See, you hear God's telling them, Hey, you have this great, this is great, this is great, this is great. But you've forgotten your first love. They've forgotten him. See, we can't do this. We cannot forget our first love. We cannot forget God. We can't choose ourselves over him. See, we have to choose to stay close, to walk right behind God, the same way that that street performer walked right behind the people. We need to choose to stay right behind him. And when we don't open our Bibles to read a couple passages, for whatever reason we choose or think, the gap widens, the space widens. We're no longer walking close one step behind him. It just widened. When we choose not to act kindly to one another, when we choose not to forgive, the gap widens. And we don't want to walk in a great distance from our, from our Father. We want to stay right there, right next to Him. See, I think of children, earthly children, when they get separated from their parents, when they get separated from their father, sometimes there's a, a, a feeling of panic. Maybe when a child gets separated, there's fear, there's worry, they get scared. It should worry us when we have distance between us and him. It should make us panicked a little bit. Now, I'm not trying to stir you guys into a panic attack. But again, we need to stay close to him. And when we're not close to him, that should bother us. We should be bothered. We should want to be close to our maker. It should worry us about the distance sometimes we feel. I know if there's days where like I said, there's days where I don't even meet my own standards sometimes. There's days where I'm, I'm, I'm riding great, I'm praying, I'm repenting, I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm doing my verses, and, and it's great, and I feel like I'm not even walking on the ground. I'm like I'm floating through life. And then there's days where I go two or three days without praying because I'm stressed. I get lost, and oh, I got to do this, I got to get this, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. All I'm doing is widening the space. I should have been saying, Lord, can you help me? I got to do this, 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 I got to do this. But Lord, can you be there with me? 
Can you help me stay close to you? It's okay that we have a busy life. It's okay that we're bouncing around. What's not okay is that while we are busy and walking around, that we, we don't forget him. We can't forget our first love. We can't let that gap widen. So as we continue on, I would like to just pray and urge you to keep imitating God. As we heard before, be kind to one another. Imitate that. Be tender-hearted. Imitate that. Forgive. Imitate that. Let's imitate God and walk in meekness. Let's imitate God and be patient with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Let's imitate his love and how he walked. See, God loved in a forgiving way. Sometimes this world is not forgiving. God's love is unprejudiced. It's unlimited. Sometimes the world's walk is prejudice. Sometimes the world's walk is very limited. And God's love and his walk was a sacrificial love. A giving love. Sometimes the world's walk is all self-centered. Only what I can give. What can I get out of this? But remember Jesus' ministry while he was on earth. Remember when he was walking that his ministry was about kindness. It was about being tender-hearted. Jesus had compassion. And Jesus was forgiving. And if we're going to be imitators of our Lord and Savior, then we too need to do this. Let us continue to strive to walk in love. Let's honor and be obedient to our Father. Let's walk in joy, knowing that the battle has been won. It's been won. And our sins are forgiven. So let's keep imitating God. I would just like to ask that we bow our heads down and pray. Your Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we come before you grateful, undeserving of the love that you gave to us. But Father, because you love us, you gave yourself to us a fragrant offering and sacrifice, Father. And because of that offering, Lord, we are forgiven. We have redemption through your blood, Lord. Help us to remember this and meditate on this, Father. Help us to be imitators of you and to stand close to you, to walk right behind you as you walked, Father. Help us to remember that it's not our will that leads in our life, Father, but it's your will. It's your will that should guide us, Father. It's your Holy Spirit that strengthens us, Father. It's your Holy Spirit that will mold us, to shape us, to transform us, Father, and to be more into your image. Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit is not like a Duracell battery where it's going to run out in about a month. We know that the Holy Spirit is not something that just needs to be plugged back into our USB cord or port, and, and there we go, we're fully charged. No, Father, it comes fully charged, and it comes fully charged for all time. Lord, help us to be receptive. Help us to think past ourselves and to live more in the spirit, Father, and less in the flesh. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would have their hearts pricked, that you would work on them, and that you would show them grace and mercy, 
that you would pick them up when they're dead and their trespasses and sin, Father, that you would relieve them from their zombie-like state, that you would elevate them as you elevated us, Father. I pray that we would remember that we are beloved children and not just adults going about our business. Help us to remember that we are your beloved children. Help us to meditate on what that means and then help, our, help us as fathers and as mothers to look at our children as beloved children. Help us to love them with patience, with long-suffering. Help us to look at our children as beloved, Father. Lord, we are so grateful for everything that you've done for us. We are so grateful for your grace and for your mercy and for your tireless acts of just never giving up on us. Father, we thank you. We praise you always in the name above all names, the name to which every knee will bow on earth, under earth, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.